for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to the 90th episode of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. I'm really glad you're listening because you're in for a real treat. My interview this week is with John Lehman, a name you're familiar with, I'm sure, because of Chew and Batman's Detective Comics. He talks about both gigs and all the fun that goes into making them and the, the challenges as well as the expectations behind them. He even gives some hints about what fans might expect in the future from both, so I'm sure you're going to want to listen. And everything wraps up with John Luca Glazer talking with me about news and previews. There's a lot of good stuff to get to, so let's get on with the show. It's always great fun to be able to talk with a creator of Batman, being a big old Batman fan as I am. And so today I have the honor of talking to John Lehman. Hello. Hey, who's writing Detective and who also created Chew, one of the folks on Chew. So I guess you're doing pretty well today there, John. Yeah, yeah, no complaints. I don't have any crushing deadlines right now. So uh, yeah, things are going well. Oh, great. Okay. Well, why don't we start off talking about Chew, because that's how I first got familiar with your writing. I think that's where most people did. Yeah. Did you write anything before that? Oh, my God, yes. I've been in comics since 1995. Oh, my goodness. Like, what did you write? Well, I was an assistant editor at Wildstorm, and then I uh, worked at the San Diego Union Tribune and had a comic column in the book section for a year. And then I came back to Wildstorm and was an editor, and then DC bought it, and suddenly I was a DC editor. Mm-hmm. And I edited things like Authority and Planetary and Astro City and Steampunk and assistant editor on Danger Girl and DV8 uh-huh. and Gen 13. And finally, I made the jump to uh, comic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you start slow taking whatever gigs you can and uh, hopefully work your way up. And I wrote uh, Xena for Dynamite and Thundercats for Wildstorm. I wrote the last run of Gambit, uh, mm-hmm. you know, before James Asmus took over. Mm-hmm. I did a Scarface for IDW. I did Red Sonja Claw. I did an original graphic novel with Oni called Armageddon and Son. I did mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert's Tech Jansen with Tom <laughs> Pyre and Tech Jansen. Goodness. Uh, let's see. I did a thing called Puffed at Image, uh, <laughs> House of M, FF. Oh, and then the big one was uh, Marvel Zombies Army of Darkness. Oh, wow. So I, I had done a bunch, but it was one of those things that people didn't necessarily make a name connection. Mm-hmm. And I, it wasn't always leading to bigger stuff. You know, I got good gigs and then nothing. And mm-hmm. uh, I was doing a lot of video game writing at the same time. Oh. So I uh, got hired to write the Marvel MMO with Bendis. Mm-hmm. That he was going to be the guy who, uh, you know, wrote from afar. And I'd be the one who, who took his genius and worked in the office. <laughs> and so my wife quit her job and we left Seattle and moved to, to San Jose to, to work on this job. And three months in, Microsoft killed the game. Oh. So suddenly I'm not working on the Marvel game. So I stuck with it. It was good money. It was uh, for Cryptic Studios writing the Champions uh, Champion Online MMO. 
Mm-hmm. And I was getting paid enough that I had this idea for Chew that no one wanted. I kept pitching it. And finally, I just said, well, I got some extra spending money. I'm going to finance this myself. <laughs> and I thought that after the video game ended, I would use Chew to show to editors to get other work because, mm. uh, you know, no one thought it would be a hit, including me. Uh, <laughs> but it, it hit pretty big out of the gate. And uh, life's been good ever since. Well, that's great because it's one of those books that's <laughs> one of the most original things that's out there, as far as I can tell. It's also one of the most diverse comics that's going around. Usually comics tend to deal with white guys. And so to see Ch- Tony Chu, who's not a white guy, and then see all his compatriots, Chris, he's got, he had a Scotsman that was up, uh, working with him for a while, and he's got this guy's like a cyborg. All these different kinds of things going on. And I always enjoy that about the book, is that it gives us a chance to experience life from other perspectives. Well, I'm, I'm for, married to an Asian, and so our kid was supposed to be half Asian. Somehow he, ah. he came out and he, he looks as white as a Von Trapp. Uh, oh, but, um, you know, when, when I was starting to, he was just born, and I thought, you know, there are no Asian males in entertainment who aren't like karate dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't they be just be like a, you know, a normal guy? Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the impetus for Tony Chu. And then uh, Rob Guillory, uh, my artist, he's black. And I don't really ask for races. You know, I don't specify like, oh, this person looks like this. Like, he does most of the design. And, you know, maybe when you're not a white guy, you sort of see the world as being a little more realistic than some other comics. And so, you know, he, he populates the cast pretty multiculturally, uh, just naturally. And, you know, it looks like the real world to me. Yeah, well, it's one of the very few books like Earth 2 from DC tends to be more diverse. And Raph Moran's another writer I know. He does like Dream Reavers and other stuff like that. And usually has a lot of diversity. But this is one of the most diverse books out there. And so I was very happy to see the success for it. Now, Tony Chu, and of course, the the name of the book is Chu, but it's spelled C-H-E-W. But Tony Chu's last name is C-H-U. So I always get a kick out of there's that wordplay. And and you do a lot of wordplay and humor when it comes to words in the series as well. Why don't you explain what Tony Chu's ability is for oh, people who okay. haven't read the book? Well, it, he's a, a cybopath or a cybopath. There is no right answer because it's not a real word. He gets psychic impressions from what he eats. So he's got to go to crime scenes and eat dead bodies and really gross things. And the wordplay, actually, a, a lot of the people ask me, you know, is that a real thing? No, I I use root words. You know, uh, path is to feel. It's ancient Greek, and and SIBO is to eat, which is Latin, or maybe vice versa. I might have them reversed. But typically all these weird food powers, I use ancient language root words and combine them. Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty cool because I was actually going to ask you, is this actually something real? I mean, are there really cybopaths like that? Completely completely made up, but it it sounds real enough that people kind of buy it. Mm-hmm. So how did you come up with the concept? No idea. I, that, that, one of the problems is I get to ask this a lot, and I don't have a colorful story. And mm-hmm. part of the problem is I had it with me for so long, and I had been pitching it for so long that mm-hmm. I can't remember where it came from. You know, I know that there was a bird flu aspect, and I had the idea when everyone was panicking about bird flu in the early aughts, and I mm-hmm. thought, you know, how would the government... If it was George Bush's government who, you know, there's a 9-11 terrorist act and they institute Homeland Security. If there was a bird flu that killed millions of people, how would a very reactive government react? Mm-hmm. And I thought they'd ban chicken. And it kind of seems like a Saturday Night Live sketch. You know, it seems, mm-hmm. you know, like this goofy kind of one act thing. But mm-hmm. by the time the book came out, there was swine flu and mm-hmm. people actually were panicking. And in like Egypt, they killed like 40,000 pigs. And it's like mm-hmm. the thing that I thought was kind of gross parody 
mm-hmm. it started like almost seeming real when confronted with reality. Like people actually probably would do that sort of stuff if there was a bird flu that killed all these people. Mm-hmm. Well, it has a very realistic feel to it. And it's interesting you mentioned the artist because I always feel that your scripts and his art, it's like a great marriage because it has that interesting feel. It's not like other comics, but it works so well. It's like a, an ideal marriage as far as word and picture. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I purposely sought out someone that had kind of a fun, uh, you know, I wanted someone who didn't draw too realistically or seriously because I thought there's a lot of ugly subject matter. And I wanted you to giggle when he's eating someone. I didn't want you to throw up. I wanted you to, like, laugh. Mm-hmm. And so I purposely sought out someone kind of cartoony and fun. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things is that it's very light in its tone. And that's a great thing about it. Is it is, but then I can do all these horrible things that shock people. And the pendulum swings a lot of different ways, you know? But that's great in comics because so often things are deadly serious. Yeah. It's either really serious or it's archy. And I'm always kind of like, you know, it's somewhere in between is where reality falls. And so uh, as I read the book, I always get a kick out of the fact that Keith Giffen, like in that way, he was always able to swing different directions. And, and I would be deathly serious about something. And the page would turn and there would be this robot, you know, uh, walking down New York City and we, they couldn't control it. And it would look like he was doing some kind of city walk or something. And everybody's going, hey, way to walk, you know, kind of stuff. And I busted out laughing right after a very serious sequence. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the good shows, I mean, Sopranos was like that. Sopranos could have a brutal murder and then you're, you know, laughing at a, you know, a mobster saying something dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of great about the book, and, and it's been a, a real success at Image. You know, it's been going on. How long has it been? About, what, three, four years? Uh, it been well, we debuted in June 2009 and we're on issue 34 and we're going to issue 60 and then it ends. Mm-hmm. So our big thing last year was we got to issue 30 which was the halfway point. We did something kind of shocking and unexpected there. But yeah, I mean, we have less issues rather than more issues. And that's kind of a scary thought. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting because you start to come down the other side. Yeah, I got to answer all the questions I've been setting up. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing to me, too, is that this book is so... Uh, it, it, you, you, we were talking before we started to record about the fact that there might be some interest in taking this outside of the comic book realm. And I often read comics, and this was one of those ones when I read this, and I said, man, this would make a great TV show or make a great movie. Well, a lot of people there's... thought so, and a lot of people were gunning for it, and we went with the Walking Dead producers, and they tried to sell it at Showtime, but sort of the reality... You know, it was this fun concept and this really fun book, but then when they got to, like, the nitty-gritty, a live-action cannibal is less funny than Rob Guillory drawing a cannibal. And they started having um, kind of problems finding the right tone. Mm-hmm. Well, Walking Dead is a pretty serious oh, thing. Oh, it is deathly serious. Yeah, so those people trying to make this work would be kind of something I would be very nervous about, to be honest, because that's not what Chew is about. Chew is a, is a much more interesting and much more, uh, it's got many more layers to it than Walking Dead actually does. Yeah. In a way, I'm glad that didn't work out, but because maybe the other opportunities will come to be much more I, I like I think we've comic. learned a lot. It, it took a while. It was unprofitable, but we've gotten older and wiser from it, so hopefully whatever we do next will be uh, a, a lot truer to the book and with us controlling it a lot more. Well, that'd be great, because that's one of the things, when people have comic properties that get turned into other realms, they often lose control, and it turns out nothing like what they originally envisioned. Well, that was part of the problems, because Showtime was having a hard time with it, and they kept making changes that we thought got it further away from what we thought the core principles were. But to be fair, they were trying to make it work, 
And, you know, maybe live action isn't the way to go. You know, maybe at the end, because we kept pointing out, if you made it a cartoon, the problems you're having, you would not have. Mm. So who knows? Well, Adult Swim might be a good place for it. Could be. I mean, we're trying everything. We're not saying no to anything, but we've got toys out now. We've got T-shirts and we're looking at everything and we're just sort of looking to expand. Well, that's cool because it, it, in the comics realm, it doesn't always happen. A lot of great books kind of come and go, and I miss them. And I, I'm glad that Chu has actually got staying power and is turning into something of a franchise, which yeah. I, it's just great. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've sort of realized that, hey, this is my – even when it does end, I mean, Jeff Smith's done a good job with that with Bone. You know, they've got Bone figures, and he's found ways to repackage it, but he was mm-hmm. still able to tell his story, you know, this epic with a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And Preacher and Why, they're great on their own, but they're not creator-owned, so ultimately they don't sort of become the franchise because they're part of a, a thousand other books by DC. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this, uh, you know, choose mine, and I'm going to get it out in, in as many ways as possible. Well, it's great because it's such a fun book to read, and I was looking at the description for issue number 33, and it's all these little plays on words that I love because I'm, I'm sort of a wordsmith myself, and it says, Tony takes on a load of semen. Yes, that's the Navy issue. Yeah, that's the whole Navy <laughs> stuff. And I, I was thinking, you know, kids wouldn't get that, but adults can sit there and smile at it because they get the double meaning yeah, in there. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. And then you've got a cover coming up that has a, a likeness to the Ten Commandments, which makes me smile, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. That's coming. I, I, I got confused because we did our poster that was The Last Supper. But yeah, that's actually the uh, that's issue 35 that Rob is working on next. Great, great. See, that to me, to pick up a book and not be 100% knowing what I'm going to get is a real pleasure. Because, you know, so often, I get, and I love my superhero books, believe me, but, you know, month after month after month is kind of the same stuff. And so to pick up Chew and, and to read it and not be certain what's going to happen, but know it's going to be good is a great thing about the book. Well, that's a, this may be a, the perfect segue into Batman, but, you know, that's the difference is when I write Batman, I just want to tell a good story and entertain you. And mm-hmm. I don't feel a need to play God, because if I need to play God, I'll do it in Chew. I'm not going to kill Batman. I'm not going to kill Alfred. And to kill someone, to be Grant Morrison and kill Damien, you, you have to be kind of an architect of the universe. I'm just happy to be playing with Batman and telling the best story I can. Well, you're right. That's a good segue into Batman, because I remember when I first heard that the guy who was writing Chew was going to take over Detective Comics. I was sort of put off a little bit. I thought, God, you know, he's not going to turn Batman into like Chew, is he? What's going to happen with that? But I have to say, I've been very pleased with what you've been doing. It's just great stuff. When you had that recent Detective, the, the 900th issue overall. That was a great issue. I'm enjoying all the stuff that you're doing with the the characters and everything. So I'm I'm very happy that I didn't let my first impression take over from me. And I'm really enjoying Detective Comics a lot. Well, I think part of it is being an ex-editor, I sort of understand what the editors go through in making a universe. And, you know, I I guess I kind of realize for these corporate books, you have to color within the lines. (laughs) Uh, You know, the editors who hire you, they don't want me to do Chew. And honestly, the Batman readers don't either. You know, they want the best Batman they can get. So mm-hmm. why not give it to them? Mm-hmm. Well, believe me, I'm happy. And I, I was mentioning to you before we started recording is that this to me is like a golden era for Batman. You've got Scott Snyder. You've got uh, Greg Hurwitz. You know, you're on there. You've got uh, Gil Simone's on Batgirl. You've got Kyle Higgins on Nightwing. There's all this wonderful stuff going on. And as a Batman fan, man, I, it, I don't know if I can get any better than what it is right now because there's all this great material to read. And Batman is so popular and, and going so well that I'm so glad you're a part of it because, man, I just I can't wait for Detective to come out every month. Well, 
Thank you. I mean, I'm really proud to be part of, I think people are going to look back and remember the Scott Snyder era. Like, I think he's really making history. And I'm happy to just sort of be, I just want to be solid, you know? I just want people to like it and, you know, be entertained. And I don't think Detective is the number one Bat book. I think it's Batman, and I'm perfectly Mm -hmm. fine with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as long as you're doing Batman, if I was writing and being able to do Batman, I wouldn't care what book it was as long as I got to do it. I mean, that's, that may be how you feel. But how did you get to do Detective Comics? Did you have to pitch for it? No, it was it was really weird because I wasn't looking for it. I'm friends with Mike Martz, the editor. We worked together on Gambit when he was the ex-editor. Hmm. Uh, and we're always friendly. We like each other. And... Um, we were at a Seattle con and he, he started chatting with me and, you know, a lot of people, and I know this from being an ex-editor, they only want to talk to you to get work. And so Mike and I are chatting and then he starts giving me the rundown. Well, here's what's going on in the bat office. And I'm like, ah, no, Mike, you know, let's talk about your kid. Let's talk about your dog. Let's talk about, ooh, UPS is driving up. I bet you it's 234. Uh, I'm going to walk my computer down. Uh, <laughs> okay. So anyways, uh, I told Mike, you know, look, I, I'm not here to pitch comics. You know, let's just be friends and hang out. You know, I'm not looking for work. You know, to be honest, I'm a little uh, overworked right now. I, I probably wouldn't take anything if I got it. Hmm. So we had a nice evening. And a month later, he calls me up and he said, are you serious about not taking, you know, you wouldn't want anything if I had something good? And I'm like, well, I'm not looking for anything. At the time, I was doing Mars Attacks and Chew, and I was mm-hmm. perfectly content. Mm-hmm. And I said, OK, you know, what do you got that's good? And he's like, well, is Batman good? And, you know, what do you say to that? You know, of course it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that was it, just great. The tough thing was I'm not fast. I was ahead on Chew. I was ahead on uh, Mars Attacks. But Batman is almost an issue and a half because it has the backup stories. Mm-hmm. So I took it pretty much telling everyone, hey, there is a point where I'm not going to be ahead. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. Um, I hope that's 234. <laughs> Thank you. It is not. Ah, crud. Shoot, it's for my wife. Uh, Uh, (laughs) uh, So, uh, and sort of the worst moment was that Detective 19, because Mm -hmm. they had me write an oversized story and then a backup, and then I saw solicitations, and it said 80 pages. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to do when I took Batman was really write the comic that I wanted to buy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, if I was a fan paying eight bucks for an 80-page comic and then just getting 28 pages by the regular writer, I'd mm-hmm. be pissed. Mm-hmm. So I went to the editor, and, and I said that. It's like, I didn't realize how big it would be. Do you want another short story from me? They said, yeah. And I'm like, well, how about another? And I wrote it, and I was on such a Batman euphoria. I'm like, hey, man, I think I've got one more in me. <laughs> and uh, and it was weird because I, yeah, I did it kind of piecemeal. But when it was done, I'd written 50 pages, which for wow. a slow writer, that's tremendous. <laughs> and I was really happy with the way it turned out. I have to compliment you, too, and say that uh, that was just a wonderful thing. One of the things that people complained bitterly about when the New 52 began out was the fact that Detective wasn't going to have a 900th issue. Yeah. And to me, I just thought that this was as good a celebration had it been 900. Now, I'm not a collector. I buy the books to read. I don't necessarily bag them and board them. But I, what I enjoyed about the book was this was a real celebration of the 900th issue. And, boy, I really enjoyed it. I thought your stories were great. I know that James Tynan IV got to do a, a story in there yeah. that's lit into talent. So, to me, this was just great and of course you had the wraparound cover you had the WTF month going on which I have to say the, the, it's probably long enough now that we can spoil that by saying when, when Mr. Zaz ended up being a man bat I was shocked I mean my jaw hit the ground that was great 
Well, uh, you know, I was real happy because it was an $8 book, but then when you picked it up, like, that just sounds like a ripoff. But then I'm like, hey, you're not going to read this sitting on the can or at a a bus stop. You're going to have to, like, sit down and devote some time to this. Mm -hmm. And I'm real happy with the way it turned out. Mars Attacks is over. I am three issues ahead on Chew. Wow. Which, again, this is how I like to work. I like to be ahead. I'm not far ahead on Batman. I'm just keeping up. But the fact that I just got three issues ahead means I can just focus on Batman for a while until I am caught up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, one of the things about Detective that I enjoy so much is that the artists working with you, just as much as Chu's artist compliments the scripts you're writing there, the Batman artist and the Detective does the same thing with your stories. I just think that it's a perfect marriage in Detective, well, there's, and I like there's it. There's two parts to that, because I've got Jason Fabok as mm-hmm. the main artist and Andy mm-hmm. Clark as the backup, and Jason... Uh, I don't mean this to sound bad because I know some people don't like Michael Bay, but I see him as like the big explosions, you know, big action, you know, crazy. It's the action piece. And then I've got Andy Clark doing these kind of quieter character pieces where, you know, it's sort of the talking heads and he makes those wonderful with the raised eyebrow or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it sort of is the best because I get Jason for the big action and then Andy for the other. So that's worked out real well, too. Well, that's good for you as a writer because you get to flex both yep. muscles oh, now. Totally. And that's kind of fun for you, especially doing Batman and stuff. Yep. It must be – I mean, do you guys all work together? Because I noticed that Harper Rose going to show up in issue 21 of Detective. Well, I – you know, there's a lot of communication with me and Mike Martz. Uh, you know, I'm on instant message with him and basically I'm trying to be a team player, you know, when they, they're like, oh, hey, you know, we've got this Joker thing. Do you want to be part of it? Hey, you know, we're killing off Robin. Do you want to be part of it? And I've yet to say no, because, you know, it's, it's the opposite of Chew. Chew is its own thing. So if they offer me a chance to be part of this universe and it's the freaking bat universe, you know, why wouldn't you say yes? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. I, I, it, it surprised a lot of people when Damien was killed, and I think you guys have done a good job. I hope that somebody will remember eventually that there is the Lazarus Pit, and they can put him in it and hopefully revive you him know, or something. You would think that. I, I, you know, that seems it's, to be the obvious solution to me, but, you know, hey, you know, it's tough. Uh, no one stays no, dead forever, and Damien is too good a character to stay dead forever. Well, that's the thing. It was interesting because originally Morrison wanted to kill him off right at the beginning. But then he became popular and people decided to keep him going. And then, of course, before Morrison leaves the Batman universe, he actually gets to kill him. Yeah, well, there is an argument for closure. Chew will have its own ending, but at least as a creator, he sort of gets to put his own ending, you know, on his story. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't he? Well, he he created the character, so why not? Or I can't say that. He revived the character. He made the character who the character is. Yeah, because it was, originally it was done Mike W. Barr. Man, oh man. So that was kind of a fun thing. So, it, it, Speaking of Mike W. Barr, you're actually going to be using one of his villains yeah, yeah. going forward. It's The Wrath, and I was just kind of interested in that. When I was looking at some of the previews coming up, The Wrath is going to be coming to Detective. I've always liked that character. It's always a struggle with Batman to have an opposite number that's like him. They had Catman for a while, and that didn't fly, and, and he's kind of disappeared now. But now The Wrath... He's a, a great possible opposite number as far yeah. as an equal. Well, for I, um, you know, the first few issues, you know, I didn't think I'd last longer than an arc. So I, I really wanted to, like, use as many villains as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I got Clayface, I got Penguin, I got Poison Ivy. I kind of got the Joker in a roundabout way. But now, I mean, things are going well. I'm staying on for the foreseeable future. And I get to sort of look a little weirder, you know, mm-hmm. look, dig a little deeper. 
and mm-hmm. be like, all right, let's get into the archives and see like who's fun. And the other cool thing is new 52. Like I don't have to worry about a bunch of, you know, years of continuity that I have to address. I just mm-hmm. kind of take the core concept and put my own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. And I hope that Emperor Penguin stays around for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, I had finished his thing. You know, his, mm-hmm. his arc wrapped up in the last issue, mm-hmm. and he, he was well-received enough that uh, I don't think you've seen the last of him. Oh, good, because it's always something special to me when a new villain shows up in the uh, rogues gallery. I mean, we had the, like, the ventriloquist came along, and then you, we've had other people come and go. I mean, you had the, the, also the failures, like Magpie, who was developed by John Byrne. You know, he came once or twice and was gone. Oh, and never I'll tell you again. something, Wayne. I like Magpie. Oh, you do? Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, I do. I'd Uh-oh. surprised if you see Magpie someday. Uh-oh. Well, that would be fun. I mean, hey, if you bring back the Wrath, why not? Yeah, but I mean, the Wrath has been fun because he is sort of a flip side to Batman, and I've made him sort of the billionaire industrialist who comes into Gotham, makes a big splash, but he's the guy with the toys who hates cops and is doing bad rather mm-hmm. than the guy with the toys who's trying to help the cops and do good. Mm-hmm. Very cool, because we, we need some of that in Batman. We need to see how other people do. We, we, we're familiar with Batman and his, his perspective, and I, I like the way that you're integrating you know, Alfred and the other characters into what's going on. But you're, you spend a lot of time focusing on, on the, the villains and the rogues and the, and the criminals. Well, to me, Batman the book is the driving force, and you know, Hurwitz is a little more horror-oriented. To me, detective should be about the job. I mean, it's called detective. Mm-hmm. So it's like a law and order procedural where mm-hmm. I don't care about Batman's girlfriend or his current love interest. And yeah, I'll touch on the death of Damien, but mm-hmm. really this book is about the casework and the job. And so, you know, naturally it's going to focus on the villains. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. But you also get to show Batman and his newer high-tech stuff, and we get to see him integrating and, and, and working with the, the police and stuff like that as well, too. But, God, it's just such a great thing to see the underworld. And I love when you're introducing new characters and they fly and, and also bringing back classic ones that we haven't seen for a while. And I kind of think that you guys are actually sort of reinventing Batman for the current era. Oh, you know, I... I wouldn't go that far, but if that's the case, I'd certainly be flattered and we've succeeded in what we're trying to do. Well, I think it's great because, you know, I know that uh, Scott's been putting in a lot of the high-tech stuff that Batman would have if he was functioning today instead of having the Batarang. and sure. uh, the, I mean, the, the old 21st century. You know, you, you get instant DNA. And that's part of the problem is your villains have to be smarter and, mm-hmm. you know, your detective has to be smart and you have to be smart as a writer. And that it is kind of intimidating coming up with the right case because, you know, here's a guy who can press a button and pretty much get DNA. I mean, it, it's the 21st century technology. You've got the Internet. You can press a button and talk to anyone or find out anything you need to know. So, you know, that the adventures almost have to reflect that. Well, the good thing you're doing, though, I think, is also reflecting on the human that is Batman and, and the, the humans that are the villains. You know, we see their faults and their, their strengths and their weaknesses. And so to me, it's just this great character study with, while interesting plots are going on. So I just think Detective is one of the great Batman books that's out right now. So I, I'm, I'm so happy you're there, and I'm, I'm, I just think you're doing a terrific job there. I appreciate it. I mean, it's been fun, and the monthly deadline is painful, but... <laughs> You're going to get that anywhere, and that being said, it's been pretty painless and pretty fun. i got to ask, do you ever go out on the Internet and see what people are saying about the comic? <sighs> yeah, I, I try not. Like, Chew, people read Chew because they want to read it. And I know the Internet isn't an accurate reflection, but it mm-hmm. seems to me that people read Batman 
to say how they would have written Batman. <laughs> sometimes it's infuriating, and sometimes it would be one thing if every single person said the same thing. Oh, Layman can't write Alfred. If everyone said that, then I can't write Alfred. But Batman talks too much. He doesn't talk enough. He wouldn't use that. Like, everybody is an armchair Batman writer. And sometimes it makes me a little crazy, and I just have to step back and say, wait a minute, that's part of the fun. Because Batman's been around for so long. There's been so many art incarnations. Everyone's got their own sort of vision of what Batman is supposed to be. So there's no buying the book. You know, if they hated it that much, they wouldn't buy it. So I can console myself in that. Well, sometimes what you're doing is you're provoking people to actually talk about and think about what's going on in the book. And that's always a good thing as a writer, to see people respond. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And looking forward to more things that you're going to do in Detective in the future? Besides Chew, are there other projects that you're no, working on? I mean, I learned the hard way that three and a half books is way beyond my max. So I'm ahead on Chew. I'm going to get ahead on Batman. DC is always trying to get me to do more, but I'm really good at saying no. And I just want to be solidly three issues ahead on everything before I say yes to whatever's next. And if I'm only writing two books, if it's Batman and my own successful creator-owned book, I'm content on that. I don't have to write every book under the sun. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm enjoying it, and I know a lot of other people are. We all talk about Detective. Well, I appreciate that. I wish you much success with it. I'm going to keep buying it, and I'm going to keep telling people, boy, be sure to buy Batman, but be sure to buy Detective and, and all the other Bat books as well because they're all great. Right on. Well, thanks for being patient with me because sometimes it's hard to get me on the phone. Well, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad to get to talk to you, and hopefully I'll get to talk with you again sometime. All right. Well, thank you, Wayne's Comics. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Now at Majorspoilers.com. again for news and previews and with me is john luca glazer how are you doing today john luca i'm doing well wayne thank you very much good good what news should we as fans be aware of sure well i mean we haven't been on in a couple weeks wayne you've been over at c2e2 a couple weeks ago i, I want to hear actually how that experience was first well, it was a good one. I had, like I said, I made a lot of contacts for that, uh, um, and I'm hoping that I'll get some nice interviews out of it. So uh, it was a good experience, kind of an interesting thing. Every chance I get, I'm going to try to get a hold of people that I think the fans would like to hear from, and that's what's happened at C2E2. Cool. So we'll be hearing some uh, amazing, talented interviews and. In coming weeks based off of that and and we also uh last week we we didn't record either and um during that time we had free comic book day was there anything in particular that you grabbed that you enjoyed 
I liked the Superman one. Mm-hmm. I also liked the uh, Archaea had a flip book which had Rust on it. I interviewed Royden Lepp last week, and of course David Peterson I've interviewed twice previously, and that was a good one. 2000 AD I got as well. Yeah, I've been enjoying that. I haven't finished it yet. It's a nice big mm-hmm. thick book. Yeah. So those are the ones that I like the best. How about you? I went to Golden Apple Comics, so I was able to get, like, a few of those books. Every year it grows, you know. Now there were, like, 52 books total, I believe, this year. So, you know, Meltdown Comics gives you only three or four. Golden Apple, you can get, like, five books. And they had a really good setup for that. But um, I got The Walking Dead. I haven't read it yet. It's mostly reprints anyway. Mm-hmm. I got the 2000 AD. I got IDW's Judge Dread, which mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to. What else did I get? There was like a lot of books I wish I could have gotten that I did not get. Like I wanted to get the Boom Studios, you know, sampler for their Kaboom line. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get the the Mouse Guard, you know, but they he <laughs> only have like a choice of a few books amongst the big selection. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what else. I got Atomic Robo as well, too. That's always mm-hmm. been enjoyable every year that I've gotten it. Mm-hmm. And I can't really remember what else I did get. I didn't get that one. That was one I really wanted to get, but I was never in time. So I uh, that's one. I'm hoping it'll be available online or something or in a book eventually. Yeah, you can find some of these on Comixology, actually, if you mm. have the app or, or on the computer. Mm-hmm. So. You can check that out. They have a free comic section, and they had some of these books up the same day as Free Comic Book Day. Mm, cool. So, very interesting stuff there. Mm-hmm. So, let's get on to actual newsy news. Okay. All right. So, for actual newsy news, not necessarily comic book related, but it is related to, you know, fantasy and, and fandom and geekdom. But, unfortunately, Ray Harryhausen has passed away. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. So, yeah, same here. Um, You know, we, I did, my generation and your generation too, Wayne, grew up on his movies. Mm -hmm. Um, He was known for his stop motion animation, which back before we had all the CGI stuff, that's how we would get these large dinosaur monster creatures, you know, attacking human beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was famous for his work with Mighty Joe Young, 20 Million Miles to Earth, several Sinbad movies. And, of course, for me, since I grew up in the early 80s, uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. So, and then he's famous for the skeleton battle with and Jason and the Argonauts. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Man. yeah. Moving on, though, other movie news. Iron Man 3, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it yet. What about you? I haven't seen it yet, either. I'm hoping maybe to see it this weekend or so. Second biggest debut movie. In Hollywood history. Yeah, how about that? The only one that beat it out was The Avengers. That's right. Also Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. This brought in $175 million in its three-day weekend total. Mm-hmm. So The Avengers had a $207 million debut. Mm-hmm. So, and speaking of Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. is entering into negotiations to reprise his role in The Avengers 2 movie. Mm-hmm. And perhaps beyond, according mm-hmm. to The Hollywood Reporter. Downey has been making incredible amounts of money doing these Marvel <laughs> movies. Mm-hmm. He confirmed to GQ magazine uh, a short while ago that um, the deal he signed for the Iron Man film, and then he made $50 million for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. He gets like a, a back-end deal uh, based on a percentage. Mm-hmm. 
So usually Marvel has actually been pretty um, shrewd in terms of paying talent. They got rid of Terrence Howard from the mm-hmm. first Iron Man film and replaced him with Don Cheadle based over pay. And I remember Scarlett Johansson and Mickey Rourke had to take lower than usual pay for doing Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. I guess mate, because of Robert Downey Jr., they started doing this. But it'll be interesting to see um, how negotiations go. Of course, he is vital to, to Iron Man and Avengers. Mm-hmm. Well, there's rumors that he won't be doing Iron Man any longer, as, at least as far as the, um, the, the movies go. That's good. What fascinates me, though, about this whole system, I'm noticing people don't refer to this as a Marvel movie anymore. They're calling it a Disney movie. Interesting, too. Wow. And I just that is such an interesting twist because, you know, the whole point of Marvel Studios doing this was because Marvel wanted to control it and be under their name. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly everybody who I've – every review I've seen that has called it a Disney film. Mm-hmm. And I'm just intrigued going forward what that's going to mean. I mean, is, is Marvel Studios going to be sucked into Disney Studios as far as that goes? Will there be a Marvel Studios before long? Wow. I'm just fascinated. No, that is true. The the House of Mouse uh, yeah. really has full control you know, over Marvel yeah. now. Yeah. So, and speaking of Disney, Disney Animation Studios is going to release Big Hero 6, a 3D animated film based on the Marvel comic property. Mm-hmm. This will be the first time Disney Animation has produced a film featuring characters from sister company Marvel. Mm-hmm. Disney bills the film as a comic book-style action comedy adventure. It's loosely based on the Marvel property created in 1998 by Steven uh, Siegel and Duncan Rouleau for Alpha Flight Volume 2. It was also in two miniseries in 1998 and 2008. However, the Disney movie deviates from the original location opting for a San Francisco-Tokyo hybrid city and ensues established superhero team members in favor of first-time crime fighters. Hmm. I understand some of the reason for picking this movie because it's uh, uh, got teenagers or something like that in it and they're hoping to appeal. It's an animated movie, so it's, they're hoping that the younger kids will come. Yeah. So I'm kind of fascinated by all that. That Again, this is Disney you know, taking Marvel properties and making them their own, essentially. Sure. So I'm just going to be fascinated as they go along. How much more are they going to take from the Marvel stables and then may say, well, this is a Disney property now? Yeah. So interesting. It is very interesting. Over in television news, uh, Joss Whedon's S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot got picked up as a series. Mm-hmm. Like that was ever in doubt, really. <laughs> you know? And on the flip side, NBC has turned down the pilot for The Six Gun. Oh, so. I didn't know that. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, Oni's president says that, you know, it's not completely over. Uh, Universal Television still is interested in it, so it will be probably shopped around to other networks, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we'll see about that. But for now, it's definitely not going to be on NBC. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it could be on sci-fi. If sci-fi would pick it up, that's part of that family. It could be. You never know. You know, they turned down the Beverly Hills Cop television series. Oh, really? The pilot. They they filmed a pilot with Eddie Murphy's Axel Foley having a son that was a cop. Mm-hmm. And he was going to have uh, Eddie Murphy and Judge Reinhold. And you had huge name talent, you know, um, involved. Barry Sonnenfeld, I believe, directed the pilot. And that got turned down as well, too. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Very weird. Uh, going on to actual comic book, comic book news. Jupiter's Legacy. Image Comics. Big uh, winner in April. 
Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Sold over 105,000 copies. It was number three in the uh, top ten comic books sold in April. <laughs> uh, this is an image book. Mm-hmm. And uh, this had uh, Mark Millar and uh, Frank Quitely doing the artwork, mm-hmm. you know, involved in it. It was a big thing. It's um first time uh, image book other than The Walking Dead tops 100,000 copies in, in v- many years, probably since the 90s <laughs> that, that that's happened. It's interesting because the whole, you know, Mark Miller and his business with Marvel. Oh, it's Marvel. Yeah, the Marvel Universe, as we like to call it, Millar. It's interesting to me because the truth is, is, is that I think if I was Mr. Miller, I would be going, God, the fields are pretty green on the outside of the Marvel Universes. So mm. you, might, you might be doing a lot more of this. Yeah, absolutely, especially with a debut like this. Now, here's the deal with this, Wayne, okay? These numbers are big, all right? But here's the deal, okay? First of all, and, and this was the same way when the New 52 debuted, okay? Mm-hmm. When the New 52 debuted, the copies could become returnable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, retailers ordered heavily because normally books are not returnable. Comic books aren't for comic book retailers. They have to sell what they buy, so they order conservatively. If they know they can return the books, they're able to order more than what they feel the demand's going to be. Because they don't have to be worried about being stuck with product and losing money with that. But then Diamond dings them, you know, 10% on the order numbers. And in the case of the New 52, this didn't happen. But, you know, over 10% could be returned, if if that's the case. Mm -hmm. So with Jupiter's Legacy, I know this is a bit of convoluted, but with Jupiter's Legacy, what happened was this, was that uh, Image offered this book at full returnability if they matched the orders for The Walking Dead, okay? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. retailers who ordered as much of Jupiter's Legacy as they do of Image's most popular title Mm -hmm. would get this book and would be able to return copies that they couldn't sell for it. (laughs) <laughs> and then Diamond, of course, dings them 10%, you know, overall in, in the sales uh, on the chart. So here's the deal, is that who knows how much of Jupiter's Legacy is going to be returned. With the numbers that we see here, 105,000 copies, you know, these are books based off of retailers ordering to match The Walking Dead or go over The Walking Dead to get this incentive. But we don't know exactly how many are actually going to be sold and how many are actually going to be returned. Mm-hmm. So just just a little something to know in regards to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a big accomplishment. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. retailers could have said, nah, I don't care about that. I could just order 10 copies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. a lot of people are fans of Mark Millar <laughs> or Frank <laughs> Quietly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this even beat uh, Brian K. Vaughn's image title, Saga. Mm-hmm. So Saga debuted, and actually Saga reached seventy thousand copies, but only after four printings. <laughs> so, very big accomplishment. Yeah. Yes. We, is the Marvel universe going to crumble now? <laughs> you know, if I was him, I would certainly devote as much time as I can. I mean, we're seeing Morrison go over to Image. Yeah. We're seeing other people all, you know, leave places and have success. I mean, Morrison's Happy seems to have done very well. The, the trade came out and did very well. Yeah, so. I'm about to actually get into that, too. I'll tell you how well the trade did. Okay. All right. So, in terms of overall April sales, Marvel was the big winner. 
Um, in terms of dollars, they had 37.95% of the share. Mm. Uh, DC dropped even more so than the previous month. They're down to 25.98% of the share. Mm -hmm. um, Image, of course, had a big increase. I know it doesn't sound big, but 9% of the share in sales is actually pretty good for them. And they had both The Walking Dead and Jupiter's Legacy in the top mm. best-selling comics that month. IDW is also gaining ground, too, with reaching 8% of the market. Mm. So, very impressive uh, month for the independents. Mm -hmm. Our top 10 are Batman number 19, actually, Yay. held on to number 1. Yay. Like, a little over 132000 bucks. We had Marvel's Thanos Rising number 1, mm. uh, 114720 Jupiter's Legacy, of course, I mentioned from Image Comics with over 105,000 copies sold. We have Age of Ultron number four from Marvel in a, as our number four spot. Number five was Justice League number 19. And these top five books all had over 100,000 copies sold. Cool. So, used to not be the case for a few years. Mm -hmm. some, some big events. We have our Age of Ultron number five, number six. Age of Ultron number six is number seven. Lovely. Uh, Walking Dead, issue number 109, is number 8 on the chart with 90,000 copies sold. <laughs> Batman and Red Robin, which I believe had the Carrie Kelly storyline, mm -hmm. is our number 9. And then we have Garden of the Galaxy, number 2, rounding up the top 10. Mm -hmm. Over on the graphic novel side, Image Comics, uh, pretty big. They took the top four spots mm -hmm. in the graphic novels. What do you think is number 1? The Walking Dead, I would say. Yes, that's right. It's Walking Dead Volume 1. <laughs> it's, it's sold. Mm. Um, and then we have Manhattan Projects mm -hmm. uh, with Hickman. And then Happy, of course, is number three mm -hmm. with Grant Morrison. Saga Volume 1 trade paperback is number four on the charts. Mm. about that? Um, yeah. Top four. Big, big month for Image. Mm -hmm. And then we have Punk Rock Jesus from Vertigo at number five. Batman Volume 1. Uh, let's see, Batman Detective Trade Paperback, Volume 1, from the New 52. Mm -hmm. Batman Volume 2 Hardcover was uh, number 7. Let's see, we have the Killing Joke Special at number 8, so DC's getting quite a lot of love here. The Trade Paperback version of Swamp Thing Volume 2 Family Tree from the New 52. And then we have Marvel's, probably Eisner-nominated Hawkeye Volume 1. My life is a weapon. Mm -hmm. All right. In other news, uh, He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, is having a crossover with the DC Universe. Yeah. So it's going to be a new series from Keith Giffen and Dexter Soy starting in August. Mm -hmm. Not too crazy about that, but... <laughs> well, you, you know, they're, they're trying to boost their He-Man books. Apparently they've sold reasonably well because they've had like a miniseries and that did well. Now they've got an ongoing. Yeah, book. yeah. So I'm not surprised that they're they're integrating that. Apparently, it's going to be taking on the Justice League, which never hurts. It's six issues, so you know I can see them wanting to promote that property. Sure, absolutely. So, well, we'll we'll see how it goes. Can't be any worse than um, Avengers versus X Men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman is coming back to Marvel. He's still doing DC stuff. He's he's got a uh, Sandman Year Zero coming out with J. H. Williams the Third. But he is bringing Angela, the character he created for Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and was the cause of a major intellectual property lawsuit. 
<laughs> with him to Marvel. <laughs> so he is going to return to Marvel with this creation, and it's going to be in the final issue of Brian Michael Bendis' Age of Ultron crossover event. Wow. So Bendis and Gaiman will collaborate on Guardian of the Galaxy number five, which <laughs> will feature this character. Mm-hmm. And guess who's going to design this character? Uh, it, I don't know. Joe Casada. Oh well, that makes sense. Yeah, of course, you have you have Neil Gaiman, the one of the huge best-selling writer. He, he's he's written like Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, he's coming back to Marvel after so long, bringing mm-hmm. this character from this major lawsuit that he had with uh, Todd McFarlane, and of course, yes, the head of Marvel. Uh, I don't know. Well, you know, major honcho at at Marvel is, of course, going to be drawing him. Yep. Well, that makes sense. Yep. And this is kind of comic book-related news, because people do read comic books on the NUP device. Mm -hmm. But it looks like Barnes & Noble is having some trouble, and hopefully Microsoft is considering purchasing the Barnes & Noble's Nook Media Division Mm. for $1 billion. Wow. I don't know why. <laughs> mm, mm. I, I don't know anybody who uses that. Yeah, I, I don't know either. It's actually been losing money hand over fist for Barnes & Nobles currently, mm. which is sad because it was supposed to be the reason why they were still in business over uh, the chain borders. Mm-hmm. Marvel already has like a 17% interest in this device. So hopefully they're going to buy it out. Uh, this is according to uh, a report on TechCrunch. Uh, the documents reveal that Barnes & Noble's plans to eliminate the Nook devices by the end of 2014, transitioning to a Nook app instead, living on <laughs> other platforms. <laughs> so Novel. Yes. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. And that is it kind of for me for comic book newsy news. Do you have anything that you want to add? Yeah, I've got a couple of things that intrigue me. Uh, Are you aware of what's been going on in Superior Spider-Man recently? Uh, No, I haven't been following it. I thought you gave up on it. I did, but sometimes the news is such that I can't miss it. And what's happened recently in Superior Spider-Man, remember though, the setup was that they switched minds. Uh, Dr. Octopus took over Peter Parker's body, and now Peter Parker was a ghost kind of following him around, and he still had Peter Parker's sensibilities, supposedly. Yeah. Well, now, supposedly, all that's gone. Now all he is is Dr. Octopus inside Spider-Man's body, and so uh, you know, to me, you know, I, I, this is like a stepping thing. I guess he, as I read, Dan Slott was saying that this was to make it palatable instead of just doing this just radical change in the character. They stepped it down, and supposedly Peter Parker is gone now as a ghost, and it's just Doctor Octopus in there. Uh-huh. So to me, Spider-Man is now a villain, as far as I can tell. So you know, of course, I'm not. I haven't read the book in a while, but I get a, a kick out of the fact that we're doing this to Spider-Man, who I still think that Peter Parker is a classic character, and I don't know why we would do all these things to him, but right. it's just a transition before he comes back with a big because you demanded that Peter Parker returns as Spider-Man. Yeah. An amazing Spider-Man has. I just thought, what, what's your reaction to that? Well, you know, as a writer on a long-running show, you try to stretch every kind of credible possibilities that you can for it. It's a different direction. And, you know, honestly, you want to freshen things up for a bit. And I don't blame the writers for doing it. I would have to honestly read it to see if this actually works out or not, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you follow, like, like a show like The Office... 
You know, it's not comic books, but this is kind of the same point, is that you put these characters in as many different situations as you can, and, you know, a show eventually gets canceled once you've exhausted everything, and there's nowhere else you can take it. Mm-hmm. So it, it is an interesting direction. Spider-Man is inhabited by a villain, you know? Um, you, you have the conscience now disappears, so now the villain has free reign to do whatever he wants. It'll be interesting to see what he does with that. And then eventually, once that kind of storyline plays itself out, Peter Parker returns back and Spider-Man is back to normal until the next big weird thing that you can think of for him. <laughs> Because, you know, J. Jonah Jameson is forever called Spider-Man a villain, and now he's right. Yeah. You know, he really is a villain. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of these angry fanboys. You killed Peter Parker! Yeah. You know, but no, it's it's an ingenious way to think of a new situation for the character. Mm-hmm. You know, you transition from Amazing Spider-Man to Superior Spider-Man, and, you know, you did this whole the reboot, you know, number one thing. Mm-hmm. So, to go along with it with a story like that, yeah, that's it's a it's a good thing. You know, obviously, I myself could not think of something like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. kudos to the to Dan Slott for coming up with that. Well, he got death threats back when... It, this was back at the beginning. I can't imagine what his Twitter account looks like now. <laughs> right. I Just why even go on Twitter? There's nothing but idiots on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, another piece of news. We talked about Grant Morrison, and he's got one thing in D.C. that fascinated me, and I wasn't aware of it until recently, is that he's doing the Wonder Woman Earth One yeah. volume. I knew that uh, you know Jeff Johns did Batman Earth One and J. Michael Straczynski did Superman Earth One. Mm-hmm. Now it's Morrison who's taking on Wonder Woman. Yeah. And I like that because he's going to be doing he's, – he's studying feminism and he's studying Linda Carter's version on the television and he's doing all kinds of things to be familiar with all the different versions of Wonder Woman. And there's no real release date as far as that goes, but it's interesting to see that he's going to do it. Yannick Paquette, and I ho- I'm probably butchering that name, was every always name I always butcher, but he is going to be providing the artwork. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that uh, his take on Wonder Woman should be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well, too. I like Grant Morrison as a writer. He's somebody who also takes interesting directions with his characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely um, better than, you know, J. Michael Krasinski doing something. Yeah. Well, remember, Mr. Straczynski got two, count them, two Earth One volumes. Yeah. I don't hear any word about a third one, though, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And the last bit of news. Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning are creating or recreating or restoring Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. I heard that a while ago. Yeah, for Dynamite, Dyn- right? Yeah, and I find that interesting. They're not doing the Ronald E. Moore version that was on Sci-Fi recently. They're going back to the original 1970s series. Mm. And remember, there was a successful Battlestar Galactica series of comics before, so I think what they're doing is, is they're going back. And, of course, the Dynamite, who does the cover, but Alex Ross. And it's the 35th anniversary of the original Galactica. and it's 35 gonna, covers, right? Yeah. <laughs> up as Dynamite, yeah, I'm expecting something like that. Believe me, that's what they do all the time. Yeah. So it's getting started up. There's no word as to how many of them there will be. There, We know that number one's coming out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting if you're an original Galactica fan, or even if you like the second one, you're probably going to be wanting to see this because there's supposedly a movie in the works based on the original series instead of Ronald D. Moore's version. So, right. Abnett and Lanning are very good when it comes to science fiction. Yeah, so it'll be fun. It'll be worth getting, I think. 
It's a shame. You know they are um, ending their series with Boom Studios. Hypernaturals? Yeah, it's. I believe it's ending after a year. I'm sorry to see that, because that's an interesting series. And, of course, yeah. the guy that I know is drawing uh, Tom Duranik, and he does a really nice job on the artwork. Mm-hmm. So, but he's been doing uh, work on also Injustice, uh, Gods Among Men or Gods Among Us or something. Mm-hmm. And he's been drawing in there, too. So that's been good. I'm glad he, as long as he gets work, I'm happy. Right. So that's, anyway, that's enough of the news. How about we move into previews? What sure. comics are you looking forward to? Sure, absolutely. So this is for May 22nd. And we have some interesting titles and some really good stuff coming out as well, too. Boom Studios has Adventure Time number 16. I've actually mm-hmm. watched Adventure Time for the first time. Only oh. Because it's now on Netflix streaming. Oh. It's very interesting. <laughs> it, I like it, actually. No, it appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's for kids, but with an element for adults as well, too. Mm-hmm. Over on the Dark Horse side... We have Lobster Johnson's Satan Smells a Rat one-shot going on sale. Um, <laughs> Lobster Johnson has had two previous miniseries from Dark Horse. I like it. It's a good series. So um, if you're a fan of Lobster Johnson or you want to try him for the first time. Great. Dark Horse also has two Star Wars things going on. Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Prisoner of Vagen, number five of five. Uh, I believe it was previously solicited, didn't come out, so it was resolicited. <laughs> And then we have Star Wars Legacy Volume 2, Prisoner of the Floating World, number 3, on sale mm-hmm. as well, too. These titles get longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> they go on. Yeah. Over on DC side, we have our Batman Incorporated, number 11, speaking of Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. You can check it out. There's a few covers for that as well, too. Mm-hmm. If you missed out on Constantine, the uh, continuation of Hellblazer for a younger mm-hmm. audience, <laughs> mm-hmm. issues number one and two have second print uh, variant covers on sale. Cool. You can check it out. Oh, I meant to look this one up. But Green Team Teen Mil- Trillionaires, number one, is on sale. Okay, you remember what that's all about. Yeah, you were telling me a bit about that. It's supposed to be the 1% versus the 99%, okay. and this is the 1% version okay so it goes on sale you have uh amanda connor doing the regular cover for it i I imagine she probably does the interiors then and then we have cliff chang doing the variant cover for it so interesting concept sounds good who's writing that gail simone that is written by let me take a quick look here uh art balthazar never mind totally off there not even close. No, she's doing the other one. She's doing the 99% There you go. I'm back in the game. I'm yeah. not that far off. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Uh, Justice League Dark number 20 goes on sale. Mm-hmm. Then we have, sad to say, Wayne, the final issue of the Savage Hawkman. Yeah, I'm grieving over that. But he'll be in Justice League of America, so I'll still get to see the character. All righty. And then we go over to Dynamite Entertainment. And this was something I was looking up to. Flash Gordon Volume 1 Zeitgeist Trade Paperback goes on sale for $30. That must be a big thing. Zeitgeist has been going on for a long time. It was. I remember when it first started, we had like this limey co-host on the show. (laughs) That's been quite a while ago. Um, Yeah. But, um, yeah, $30, so I had to look it up, but I only saw eight issues. Uh, I don't know if that justifies necessarily a $30 trade paperback. Yeah. Usually a trade paperback would be four or five issues for $15 or so, and 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, a big whopping 30, so. Yeah, wow. Maybe there are a lot of extras. Who knows? We have our mask number seven of eight going on mm-hmm. sale, and there's got to be um, seven covers for it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Alex Ross does almost half of those. Mm-hmm. So you can check that out. We have Red Sonia number 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, we're going to have Gail Simone writing on it. Right. So that's on sale with a whopping three covers only. <laughs> Someone's slumming it. We're waiting for the, the Gail Simone, you know, yeah. to come out because that's going to have a bunch of covers. Yeah. And over on IDW side, we have our Judge Dread number seven. Mm-hmm. Two covers for that because we're IDW. <laughs> Bill St. Kevich is involved with cover B, so mm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our My Little Pony micro series number four on sale. I'll let you talk about Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have our villain micro-series from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Baxter Stockman, who eventually mm-hmm. becomes a fly person. <laughs> so he's got that. Image Comics, we have the Elephant Man Volume 1 hardcover revised and expanded edition <laughs> for $40. Wow. Uh, Richard Starkings, really talented guy. He letters almost every book in Image uh, mm-hmm. with his comic craft company. I dealt with him, his lettering, when I worked at Radical as well, too. Really talented guy. Talented series as well, too. So if you haven't checked it out, maybe this is the book to do it. Mm. And then this is a thing that I was late for the podcast today because I wanted to look this up in what the hell. Miniature Jesus, number two of five. Mm -hmm. All right. What is Miniature Jesus? Well, it's uh, completely written um, and artworked and, and covered all done by Ted McKeever. Mm-hmm. He is the critically acclaimed writer-artist, um, and he returns to the theater of the bazaar as a small-town pastor thinks the eight-inch Jesus that descended from a cross on the church's wall is the devil's work. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a recovering alcoholic's fractured reality battling his own demons is becoming all too literal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely wanted to see what was up with that. Yeah, Jesus is getting pretty popular these days yeah. with comics. I guess with- so, yeah. We have punk rock Jesus. We do. And, yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Over on the Marvel side, we have A plus X number eight. And then if you haven't picked it up, there's A plus X volume one equals awesome volume trade paperback. <laughs> so, yes, I don't know if the price is necessarily awesome. It's uh, $15, mm-hmm. but um, it better be pretty yeah. awesome for that money. Yeah. We have the Age of Ultron number four, second printing cover, if you haven't picked it up. Mm-hmm. Same thing going with the all-new X-Men number 10. Mm-hmm. A fourth printing cover of the final issue of The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Number 700. So that's Yeah, number 700, and that's going for $8. That was the original cover price. Oh, okay, never mind then. I forgot. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Forgive me. Uh <laughs> We have the Avengers number 12. Mm-hmm. It's got a 50th anniversary variant cover going along with it. Mm-hmm. We have, and I always like to point this out whenever this occurs, Iron Man number issue 258.3. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I hate that stuff. If you, if you didn't pick it up, I, I warn you guys before you pick up issue number 258.3, you definitely need to get 258.1 and 2, all right? <sighs> and uh, Rick Remender, talented writer. We have his Secret Avengers Volume 2 trade paperback on sale. Very pricey as well, too, $25. They're 
Better be an actual miniature Rick Remender in there. <laughs> Better be like, you know, a voice recording of some of his witty-isms. Mm-hmm. The Renegade Arts Entertainment, very talented Canadian company, has Tales of the Buddha before he was enlightened. Oh, yeah. A paperback version by mm-hmm. Alan Grant and uh, some other talented guy that starts with John. <laughs> <laughs> it's $14. It's a uh, collection. Really talented stuff. Obviously, if you're of the easily offended, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. Buddha <laughs> handles a lot of situations, including drugs and sex. It's funny, though. Yeah, Mr. Grant always has fun with these kinds of things, so it'll be great. Absolutely. It was available digitally for a while, but it's finally available now in trade paperback format. Mm. And Vanguard, who releases a lot of talented stuff, they have the Wallywood Eerie Tales of Crime and Horror hardcover. I mm. love me some Wallywood. I'm not willing to get a uh, deluxe slipcase edition for $70, but mm. there are the more affordable regular hardcover editions mm-hmm. and even a softcover edition for $25. That I can justify getting $25 for. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, because, you know, obviously there's a big body of work when it comes to Wallywood. And for a soft cover book, that is very good. For a Secret Avengers with Rick Remender, I need a Rick Remender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Justify that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it for me as far as sales goes. Okay, I'll, I'll go in reverse. Uh, we'll start off with Marvel. Important to point out, I guess, since I talked about Superior Spider-Man, edition number 10 is out this week, mm-hmm. and that's going to follow up. Number 9 is the one where all this craziness took place, and people are still arguing over that. Then, of course, we get the Daredevil number 26, which Mark Wade writes. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. So if you want to get that, that is definitely worth it. read. He also does the Hulk these days, and he's doing a pretty interesting job on that. So, and then we move into Image Comics. A series called Clone, I really like. The first volume trade paperback is out. It's only twelve ninety nine, oh. so it's definitely worth the buying. I really like that. It's a very interesting series about cloning. There's a show on BBC America called Orphan Black, which is dealing with something of the same subject. I actually prefer the comics interpretation of what's going on to Orphan Black, although I don't mind Orphan Black. But I just think that's an interesting book. And, of course, for those people who want to buy it, sex is available uh, for, for two ninety nine. It fairly sells, but... <laughs> Yeah, two ninety nine for sex. So that'll be an interesting. Of course, that's the name of the book from Image Comics. Yes, of course. Make that clear. From IDW, we've got Doctor Who number nine with a Mark Buckingham cover, mm-hmm. and we've also got the ongoing miniseries Doctor Who: Prisoners of Time number five of twelve with a fifth Doctor. Yeah. So that's in there. We've also got the you mentioned Star Trek very briefly. Star Trek John Byrne collection, a hardcover for fifty dollars. Yes, Wayne. Tell me, what is this a collection of? Well, John Byrne for a while there was doing a lot of Star Trek comics, Alien uh, Spotlights, and Star Trek Stories. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they've collected them all into a hardcover to give Mr. Byrne some more money because he certainly can stand it these days. <laughs> and, you know, he's, you know, his stuff is not too bad. He's a big Trek fan, so he does a good job with it. So it doesn't bother me at all. Would you I'll get this? That. No, I'm not going to get it, unfortunately. I, it's, it's a little pricey for me as far as that stuff goes. I actually have all, like, almost all the individual issues, so I don't think I'm going to need that one. All right. I'll skip over DC for a second and go to Dark Horse. Mind Management, which I really like, and I got to interview Matt Kent a couple of episodes back. Number 11 is out. He had a hardcover that came out recently called Red Handed, which has to do with like true crime, stuff like that. And It was through one of these obscure publishers, like Jeff Lemire did the same thing with Underwater Welder. 
And so it's available, and you've got to seek out the certain stores that have it. I know one, Big Planet Comics in College Park, Maryland has them. So if anybody wants to get them, you can get it there. But Mind Management is a great book, all about people who can control the mind and things like that. Very good stuff. And we'll wrap up with DC. Most of what I get this week will be DC. You get All-Star Western, number 20, Aquaman, Arrow. And by the way, there was a huge reference I got a kick out. There was a judge named Judge Grell in one of the recent episodes of Arrow on the CW and I got a kick out of that. This is based on that series and it's pretty good. It's a digital first so you can buy them online as well as get the paper version. Mm-hmm. Then speaking of digital first, there's Batman Beyond Unlimited number 16 which I like. Very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Kyle Higgins is actually going to take over writing Batman Beyond in there. And J.T. Krull still doing Superman Beyond and there's Justice League Beyond in there of all things. Then there's Batman Little Gotham which is considered one of the children's books that DC is doing. That's issue number two. Batman the Dark Knight number 20 written by Greg Hurwitz. That's a good one. And then we move to The Flash number 20 which is still one of my very favorite books. That's really one of the underestimated ones. You, know, you were talking about the final issue of Savage Hawkman. There's also the final issue of Fury of Firestorm the Nuclear Man. Oh, okay. That's number 20, unfortunately. That's coming down. Dan Jurgens was doing that, and then he always does a good, solid comic, but a good, solid comics just aren't enough these days, I guess. So he's probably going to shift over into Justice League, is what I keep hearing. <laughs> then Green Lantern, number 20. This, I think, is the final Jeff Johns one. And Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 20. So those will be coming out. If you missed Grifter, you can get volume two. It'll be out. Mm-hmm. The trade paperback. And Justice League number 20 is coming out. There are two action figures, speaking of Justice League. There's a Batman and a Cyborg, and they're each running about $25. Oh, I noticed that. That is pretty pricey for an action figure. That better be one hell of an action figure. That's kind of a lot. And there's also Flash and Superman, too, so I'm not sure what's going on with that one. But usually they're about 15 so that's $10 more. And there's Red Lantern's number 20 and Superman number 20 and Talon number 8, which is a really hot book in my estimation. Really well done. I really like that book a lot. If you're a Batman fanboy, this is going to scratch that itch pretty well. <laughs> and then there's Teen Titans number 20, which is doing pretty well, too. I like all that. And those are the books that I'm interested in. Anything else that we should talk about before we call it quits? That is pretty much it. I'm actually going to pull up what these action figures are all about. Oh, you can't select them. Never mind. I don't have anything going on here. Okay, on that note then, we will call it quits for this time with news and previews. As always, John Lucas, thanks for bringing all this great information. No problem. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, we'll talk with you again soon. All right. that's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to tune in next week when I'll have a special episode exploring the Watchmen franchise. You won't want to miss it, so be sure to be here. But until then, keep reading your comics. You'll never win, Joker. I'll always be here to stop you.